This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the MK1 podcast, your audio hub for everything Milton Keynes Sons. Well, 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 boys. Uh, I'm I'm still pretty overjoyed with the performance last night against uh, AFC. Uh, it was a really, really good performance. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it plenty later on. Um, but first of all, how are we both doing? Uh, Ross, how about how you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm doing all, all well, thanks, mate. Good to hear. Good to hear, Joe. How are you doing? Yeah, it's not too bad. Uh... Yeah, good good few days. Yeah, it has been to be fair. Obviously, you know, after Accrington on Saturday, we were kind of like, right, this this game on Tuesday is even more important. And uh, you know, luckily, luckily the lads delivered on the pitch and got us those three points, which we'll talk in depth on uh, later in the episode. But plenty to cover tonight. Um, because we've got an outgoing and an ingoing to talk about. Uh, of course, the two games that have been played this week, and then we'll have Hugh on from the PO forecast to chat everything about Pompey. But first of all, uh, transfer-wise, so of course, Andy Fisher's left the club. Um, t- been talked about for weeks, to be fair. It was, I think everyone kind of knew it was coming. It was just a matter of when. And uh, of course, when was, you know, a really bad timing uh, the day before the um, ASC Wimbledon game. Um, but, you know, Swansea and their timing seems to be quite a common trend at the moment. Um, boys, our overall thoughts on the whole transfer. Obviously, we won't talk about the fee that's been rumoured about, but you can kind of get an idea of what we got for him initially. Uh, Joe, what are your thoughts on it all? Um, I think, yeah, I, you said about, I've seen quite a few people say about this timing thing, but I mean, it's the transfer window. I mean, yeah, when course, is good yeah. timing in the transfer window? If they sign him on deadline day, we'd say it's bad timing because it's not giving us much time to find a replacement. I, I more meant so, the day before the game, to be honest. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, I think, um, I think that it's, I think first of all, fish. There's no way he can turn that down, and no way he should turn it down at his stage in his career. He's been offered a championship move to be a starting goalkeeper on a four and a half year contract. So you know, for me, there's no real feeling towards fish at all. Um, 
if and you know someone we got for free and if the rumored fees are to be believed then we've made a healthy profit on him so you know and whilst having you know enjoying having him in gold for the most part over the last year or so i think he's he's done really well i think um he definitely suits the russ russ um, russell martin's way of playing obviously um he's a bit more extreme than what um a bit more extreme than than how Lee Manning plays, but I think he's still a, he, he was still an asset, and I would have liked to keep him. Um, however, you know, I think um, you know, given that we've now got a little bit of extra money in, maybe maybe we can reinvest that and find the next Andrew Fisher. So all in all, I think obviously I would have liked to have kept him, kept him, but I think it's worked out okay for all parties in the end. Yeah, I think you're completely right in terms of fish. You know, it, I think it'd be very silly to turn that deal down. You know, a four and a half years contract, unless you're in the Premier League, it's pretty unheard of, to be honest, in, in most parts of the EFL. So to be offered that by Swansea, I think shows the faith that, you know, not only the coaching team having fish, you know, gave him the chance in the first place here at this, at this football club, um, but also, you know, the, the people back in um, the coach staff there in terms of the, their chairman and their owners. And the money they spent on fish, um, and yeah, of course, you know the coach staff that was was here that are now at Swansea. You know, it's a very familiar surroundings to fish. So, yeah, it, it's a perfect scenario for him. Um, and of course, I'm sure he's on a lot more money than he was here. Um, so yeah, I think I think ultimately, um, of course, it doesn't seem like this right now. I think it will be a win-win for both clubs in the end. Um, obviously, we're still yet to bring in Fish's replacement. Um, of course, Franco put in a stellar job on Tuesday night. So. I'm sure he'll be starting on Saturday um, regarding, well, unless it's a major, major development, but I doubt it at this point. Um, so, yeah, I think I think overall, not too many complaints, really. Of course, you know, it, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not overly bothered as I was regarding some other players leaving, but I don't know what your thoughts are on it, Ross. I pretty much echo what you two, you two have said, but I, f- I feel the stick which Fish received when he left was a bit undeserved. I felt personally, um, especially under Russ, um, no matter what you think about Russ or his reign at MK Dons, um, Fish was arguably our player of the season. Um, I I do feel like he won his points, especially if you think about the performances at Hull, um, Pompey at home. And there is many more. Yes, maybe his form wasn't as good this year, but does that deserve some of the uh, stick he's been received just for uh, ha- joining a better, better opportunity? Yes. I don't like anyone leaving our club, but if you got put in that situation, if you got offered a better job for more money, would you say no? Probably not at the end of the day. And um, I think people probably need to open their eyes a bit and um, realise what, what a good goalkeeper he was. And uh, I'm not saying that we're, we're not going to get better or we're, that there's worse than him out there. I'm just saying, just just have a bit of appreciation for 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 the guy because he wasn't he wasn't as bad as what people are making out to be. Um, so I wish him all the best, and uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, Liam Sweeten's got um, something up his sleeve for sure. Yeah, office I mean, glove. Oh, office glove. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Fish got fish. Well, we on our podcast we gave Fish young player of the season. He ran, um, I think it was Scott Fraser, pretty close to player of the season as well for our awards. So, uh, yeah, that just showed you how good he was last season. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, he's, as I said, he's going to familiar coaching background with Dino and um, obviously Russ there also. 
um yeah uh and yeah you're right the, the stick was completely unnecessary um but you know with with the whole manner of how the Swansea move went down for Russ uh, I think people are also jump on that bandwagon to be honest and it, it's a shame and it shouldn't happen but um but obviously the club reacted in a different position quite quickly to um you know Fish leaving in bringing in Theo Corbenu from Wolves on loan of course he was at Sheffield Wednesday prior to joining the Dons on the on loan this season and I chatted with Alex Miller to get a bit of insight into Theo himself. Welcome back to our own focus series. We speak about uh, players that come into the club who perhaps you know don't know too much about. And uh, yeah, it's good to have this back. It's one of my one of my personal favourite sort of topics to talk about on the podcast of players coming in. And it's the first of January window, and we are delighted to welcome onto the podcast a person who I've known for a little while now um, through through work. But it's nice to speak to him outside of it. Uh, Alex Miller, who's the Sheffield Wednesday writer for the Star. Alex, how you doing? Yeah, not too bad, Liam. Not too bad at all. Good to speak to you again. Yeah, you too, mate. Yeah, it's been it's a little while since you've seen each other in November. Um, but I bring it up because it's, it's a relevant chat, which we'll get we'll get onto later. Um, but of course, uh, Theo Corbenu um, was, was at your club earlier in the season, Sheffield Wednesday, on loan from Wolves. Of course, uh, he got recalled and sent straight to MK Dons, pretty much. So. Uh, basically, what what was the main reason for that record? You reckon? Obviously, he's a, he's quite an attacking player. Yeah, very attacking player. I, th- I think you know it's no real secret. It's a it's a source of frustration. Anyone that that's uh, you know down at your end that that's seen the response on social media has got probably a good flavour of uh, of how it's gone down up here. Um, and yeah, you know it's no secret. It was my understanding pretty early doors that that Wolves in particular were a little bit frustrated with how Theo was being used at Wednesday, um, sort of got into the side, then back out again. He's been used as sort of an impact sub quite a lot. And um, and in a position that, that Wolves certainly wouldn't have been all that impressed with, um, you know, he's a very, very attacking player. The sort of player that you want to see probably on the left or the right of a, of a front three. And, and Wednesday, through injuries and a few other things, had to switch to a, a 3-5-2 and... You know, he was used in in games against maybe, I suppose you could say lesser opposition as a as a left wing back, um, which he did well with and adapted. And you could see that he was picking things up, certainly from a defensive um, standpoint. But um, yeah, you can certainly see why Wolves may have been a you know less than impressed with with what he was doing there um, and how he was being used, and and ultimately the decision. You know, from what we can gather, was left to Theo. I think Wolves made a pretty heavy recommendation over what they would like to see doing. I think when when MK Dons and your guy's style of play and stuff was mentioned, um, yeah, and the decision came down to to Theo, and it was a brave one for a 19 year old to make to leave a club in the in the middle of the season. But clearly, you know, the, those two parties, Wolves and and Theo himself, see that uh, Milton Keynes is a better destination for him. Yeah, I find it interesting point how you mentioned he's a quick learner because um, I, I think in I think in our system in, in particular, it's I think having those type of quick learners in the squad is going to be really important. Obviously, with the need for us to pick up results if our bit of a slump at the moment in terms of you know just not not being able to finish games off properly. I think he's going to be obviously we're, we're filming this on the Monday prior to the AC Wimbledon game on Tuesday night, so he'll be thrown into the deep end on that front in probably the, one of our, our biggest games of the season. So. I think he's gonna not have much time to adapt, so he's gonna have to be straight in the firing line. Yeah, I mean, when I say picked it up early, 
It, it took a little while, and and you know he's raw. I think that is one thing. You know, when you you think of your archetypal young Premier League sort of talented attacking player, uh, he's almost like a, a caricature version of that. He's got all the tricks and all the pace and everything you want to see. Um, but there, there was a couple of games in particular where defensively really, uh, really struggled, and and you know that was evident in the way that maybe Darren Moore spoke about him at times and and all the rest of it, but. If he's going to play, you know, a lot further forward, and he's just going to be allowed to to go and do Theo things, then um, you know, you, again, you can sort of see why that decision has been made. And you know, if he if he doesn't have to worry about tracking back and and his defensive positioning, all the rest of it, you know, it could be really exciting for you guys, and he could well hit the ground running because he, he's full of confidence as well. That's one thing that's definitely shown, even from his from his early appearances with Wednesday. You know, it's not it's not an easy club for a young player to come and play for. A lot of expectation, you know, as your listeners will know, big crowds and um, yeah. So it, it, it was quite impressive the way that he sort of held himself and, uh, and and threw himself straight into it. Yeah, well, admittedly, it's not as big crowds as it is at Wednesday for here, but the expectation were just as high in terms of, you know, achieving promotion this season. I feel, you know, despite the loss of Andrew Fisher, which has recently come out, um, the team... Well, the, the team said themselves, you know, they set this out ambitions of top six. So I think Theo's that are coming to a team who, you know, want to achieve big things. And to be honest, they've got the players to do that. Um, and it's just going to be all about picking up those results. Um, it's interesting to hear Wolves' comments. You, you referred to them from Matt Jackson, how about, you know, these, the um, strategic, I think it's player, mar- strategic marketing for the players at Wolves. And he mentioned how, well, it'd be pretty similar to how Wolves utilised him um, when he was there, Theo, in terms of playing as a striker role. And it, it was quite funny because um, obviously we, we met at that Chris Waddle event in November and he actually referred to how he would use Theo as a, sort of as a second striker rather than a wing back and have, have him in the 10. And I imagine how that's how Liam Manning's probably going to utilise Theo, uh, working either alongside or just in behind my wife to support Scott Twine. So, yeah, I found it interesting how someone from the outside could spot that and clearly, you know, I, well, we believe at least that Manning's and utilised in that way. Yeah, big time. And, you know, it does feel like the right sort of club. The, the three players that you mentioned there, they're probably going to be the more more advanced players for MK Dons. It, it makes them a bit of a frightening prospect, really. Um, and yeah, it was interesting that, wasn't it? Months ago, uh, Chris Waddle, there, there, there always was a sense of frustration, I think, in the, in the fan base about how Theo was being used. Um a bit of a, a square peg round hole sort of situation. And and like you said, I think what middle of November, wasn't it? Um for, for Chris Waddle to sort of say that that he agreed and, and would have preferred to see him used as a second striker or, you know, on either side of the front three. Um yeah, you do you don't argue with Chris Waddle when it comes to attacking players. Uh, it's certainly not incumbent on on either of us to do so. So <laughs> yeah, um the, the the extra slap in the face really for Wednesday fans. Who, you know there is this massive feeling of what might have been with with Theo, is that he's he signed for a, you know in theory a, a promotion rival. So certainly you know you'd expect MK Dons to to be there or thereabouts um, come the end of the season. And you know Wednesday are wobbling on that front. So you know at a time where it was hoped Wednesday would strengthen and and really strengthen their their promotion credentials, it, it just feels like a a bit of a pin has been uh, been put in them, and hopefully, hopefully they can recover in the the next couple of weeks and and get a couple of players in. But the fact that they've strengthened a, a direct rival is the uh, the ultimate raspberry, really. 
Yeah, so there was talks of like Lewis Wing today, wasn't there? Going back to Wednesday, so that'd be interesting if that happened. But yeah, it's say it's um, yeah. I mean, this club's been pretty good with the terms of attacking players recently, and getting them in. So I think the fact that we managed to, I say, get Theo in, I, I think it's really exciting to be honest. And I'm really looking forward to watching him. Uh, well, hopefully tomorrow night. Of course, this has been recorded on the when on the Monday um, against AFC Wimbledon, which is a, as it's a huge game, and we really need to win those both those games really uh, to get back on track. Um, I asked about for a few questions on Theo just because I know you were coming on, Alex. And I, I think there was, I don't know if this is from many Wednesday fans, but a few Wednesday fans, I suppose when it comes to players like Theo, who, you know, have got all the talent and, you know, playing for Canada at such a young age and, you know, getting a young player of the year, for example. A few Wednesday fans come up, say Theo sometimes comes across with a bit of arrogance in his game. Now, I personally don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if it's utilised properly. I don't know if you noticed this, obviously, watching a team that week in, week out. Yeah, I've, I, I think in my <laughs> in my pieces, I've been more tempted to describe it as confidence. And, and yeah, okay. Like I said, you know that that was so important for for a young player going to a you know straight into any first team, but particularly you know the the, the pressure of Hillsborough and you know it's it's eaten up and spat out you know far more experienced players than him. And yeah, he did, he did play with a swagger and. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll take that to MK Dons. What What I would say is that you know, I in terms of how he he was very very inconsistent, which probably he was so exciting, and he had that rare rare ability um, that not many players have in in terms of getting fans you know on their feet and excited. And every time he got the ball, it felt like an event. But there were games where, you know, he was, he was a four out of ten, you know, which is going to happen with a young player. Um, but that's probably something that, that you know, fans of, of you guys would, would probably need to exp- expect. He's, he's very, very raw. When he's good, he's very good. And when he's bad, he's horrid. And, and like I say, that, that's probably the reason why he's been sent out on loan and he's, he's not in and around the, the Wolves first team. You know, he's probably a couple of years away from that. Um, so if you can... Sort that out and, and tick that consistency box. Um, you know, there's certainly a player there that's going to end up playing a hell of a lot higher than League One. Yeah, that that kind of feels the theme for a lot of this one at the moment. And obviously, uh, one of my players has just moved on to the championship, and I feel like a lot more could. Maybe not this window. Hopefully not. Hopefully not this window. Um, but in the future, 100. percent And you know, yeah, if Theo can follow in those footsteps, then I'm sure uh Wolves will be pleased we'll be pleased he's scoring goals for us and uh yeah I think everyone will be in a happy boat to be honest yeah and it you know that would have been the case at Wednesday as well but you know alas <laughs> uh, it's it's not quite happened well thank you very much Alex for coming onto the podcast and giving us a bit more insight into Theo uh before you go please let everyone know where they can find your work uh, I'm on Twitter at Alex Miller 91 I'm not sure how you know fascinated your, your listeners are going to be <laughs> With insight on Sheffield Wednesday, but uh, yeah, you can find me on there. I talk quite a lot of nonsense uh, outside of Wednesday and football as well. So. Uh, I think we think we all do, to be honest. So yeah, yeah make sure you check out Alex and uh, thanks again. Top man. Thanks, Liam. Okay, gents. Uh, thanks, to Alex, once again for that. Um, what are your thoughts on the Theo? Obviously, we saw him on Tuesday night. Uh, I thought he played really good, to be fair. Um, I don't know what your guys' are, thoughts are on the signing. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed him. I think he's the main thing for me, especially in our system, is that he offers us something which we don't have, and that is the ability of a player to run at a defence. 
Um, you see Twine beat a man sometimes, you see O'Reilly beat a man sometimes, but so often, you know, their first thought is probably scanning for a pass before thinking, right, I'm going to get past you, I'm going to line you up one-on-one on, one, one on one and I'm going to come out on top. Um, I can see what Sam Shepherd Wednesday fans were saying, where he gets in some amazing positions. And maybe, you know, that, that final ball's not quite there, but let's remember he's barely played much football. And when he has, it's been probably tracking back half the game at left wing back. So um, I think that's a sort of thing that comes with sharpness, but he got into some awesome areas. And, you know, I think a lot of teams, they probably doubling up on Scott Twine. You know, they're thinking, just don't let him shoot, just don't let him shoot. But now all of a sudden, if they're going to be doing that, it leaves a open someone that's about six foot three, uh, probably one of the fastest players on our team. And he looks uh, really quite skillful as well. So it's really good to almost have that double pronged attack because, you know, we've mentioned about Hiram and how, you know, it, it, he's, I think we, a lot, all three of us maybe view him much more as uh, an impact off the bench. And so I think it's really good to have a, a different option starting. And also it gives O'Reilly that license in the middle of the pitch, um, which he utilised really well on Tuesday night. Yeah, it's a performance that's not I was over the moon with. I thought for a guy who came in on his first start, he probably had, what, one, two training sessions, probably max. I thought he was brilliant. You know, especially that second half, he kind of just free roamed wherever he wanted to in terms of that front three. Um and yeah, of course, he he, you know, he got a second yellow for the uh, AC Wooden players to get sent off. And then, you know, he has a big part to play in, quite a lot of chances. Unfortunately, he didn't get his goal. He probably should have scored, but we won't put that on too much. Um, yeah, I thought he was excellent. And of course, I think he appreciated all the support he got last night from the fans. Um, obviously, Ross, I'm assuming you were there last night yourself. I'm sure you were impressed with Theo's performance. Was I there last night? Silly <laughs> <laughs> talk. Um... Yeah, he he played he played absolutely awesome. I felt um, you can tell. Yeah, as Joe's uh, mentioned slightly, he's, that raw talent he's got. Um, obviously, he, I think he's nineteen, so he's going to make um, his decision making is not going to be bang on, and he's going to be frustrating at times. But you've got to be um, you've got to give him that time because if, if if you do, he's going to going to give you that reward at the end of the uh, process. But um, I think what pleased me the most was the fact that obviously it's probably one of our biggest games of the season this sort at this fixture, and um, he stepped up to the plate and uh, he was counted um, at the end of the day, and um, it allowed others to come into play. I know um, I felt Harvey and Watson especially um, were so so heavily involved in the attack, but that was probably down to Theo at the end of the day because of um, he was drawing players out. He was. Uh, creating the wing, wing backs to bomb on or overlap. And, yeah, fair play to the lad. Um, I'm just hoping, um, obviously, against these deep, deep blocks, especially like we saw at Accrington, um, he can be that some, something different and uh, he can beat his man and hopefully um, we can nick a goal when we do come against these sort of teams. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. I mean... I say it's something that we'll discuss when we get to that segment of the episode where we stick with that 3 4 3 going forward or we you know, go back to the, well, I suppose it was a 3 4 2 1 realistically, wasn't it? So fairly similar, but in terms of impact, it, I felt it was miles different. Um, unfortunately, a game where you know we, did, we didn't have Theo for this one um, was the action away game. 1 1 draw. Um, I, I don't think frustration sums it up in terms of how you played in the day because we literally had all of the football. I think it was 80 something percent possession. I think it's 23 shots. 
Um, and yeah, obviously, um, we go, we go, go, go behind like 10 minutes in. Um, Colby Bishop had a brilliant header, bear in mind. Don't think Fish could do anything with that. Um, Darling, just I'm not sure, I don't know if you see the goal back, gents, but Darling sort of looks back a few times. And I don't know if he's trying to signal for Was to help him, but Was sort of stands there and ball watches and the sleeves Bishop wide open. Now, I don't know who's more at fault for that, or it's a combination of both of them, but obviously, it's not a great look when you two centre backs are doing that. So you've, you've instantly got a wall to get out of and knock down from 10 minutes in. Fortunately for us, we have, we have the players to do that in uh, Twine and Isa. Um, you know, we broke through the lines for our goal, Twine for a brilliant ball to Mo, and then uh, Mo sticks it away. Um, really good finish. Uh, and yeah, and then of course the call, the call gets, gets sent off, basically kicks Harvey in, I think it was the sort of rib area. Pretty, pretty awful challenge, to be honest. So he definitely did get sent off for that. Um, and yeah, we spent the rest of the game trying to break Atkinson down. In my opinion, we were, we were pretty poor with the football. Um, and you know, we had, we had a few chances, but they weren't there's that pot luck, really. They weren't really created out of anything, you know, uh, extraordinary or showing off our skill. It was just, you know, that low into one, especially, it was quite a good summary. Just, you know, put it into the box and hope for the best. And uh, we probably still should, still should have scored to be fair, even with that. Um, but you know, for whatever reason, it didn't happen. And we left with acting with a point and their, their home, their good home record still intact. Um, you know, all three of us there on Saturday. Uh, Ross, how did, how did you find it overall? Um, I felt it was two points dropped after the game, um, especially with the chances we did have. Um, obviously, just I just wanted to touch on Mo's goal. I think that's such an underrated uh, skill of his game, drive into the box. Um when he cut inside, I did think um, he overdone it, but it was a, it was a cracking finish into the bottom left. Um, and then from there on in, I think the Matt O'Reilly chance, especially from Dan Harvey, where he um, crosses it in, and O'Reilly literally with his right foot, um, any connection you think, I think he's a couple of yards out from the goal, and you, you back him to score, but he puts it straight at the keeper. And it, I, I just thought, no, is it going to be one of these where we re- regret it? And unfortunately, we did. And um, especially in that second half, I felt we did. We just didn't move the ball quick enough. And um, yeah, we were playing it too simple at times. I felt. I felt um, we weren't really making Atkinson work. We weren't really tiring him out. They were just keeping him in that plain box um, where they were basically saying, "You come at us if you want the three points." And um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd personally don't feel, feel like, in, especially in that second half, we deserved a goal. But the chances we did create over the course of the whole game, um, we should have probably won the game. But that twine, Matt O'Reilly, we, had, we did have some decent chances. Um, but when we did try and create something like the um, Lewington where he hit the post, tonight backled it to Lewington. A bit of skill, a bit of flair into our game. And... Um, Look what happened, and I've, I think it was a bit too late. Um, but overall, before the game, if you if you said a point, I probably would have took it. But um, my reaction after the game probably wouldn't have said that. I, I was disappointed in the fact that we dropped the two points. Um, but four points, if we put it in perspective, four points out of the two games, I probably definitely would have took it, for sure. Yeah, I, I was saying that to most people, you know, if you've had a took what happened on Saturday and then obviously you know, saw what happened last night, would you would you would you have taken like you said, Ross? And I think 
I think the majority said yes, but obviously with context, you know, it's it's very disappointing to see that performance. And um, Joe, I don't know, I don't know what your thoughts are on it all because you had a bit of a higher angle than us too for most of the game. Yeah, I think um, you know, you say four points from an away game and a home game within four days, you'd probably say, yeah, fine, take it. You know, uh, but given the context, I think it looks worse. Um, I think we did a, definitely did enough to win at Accrington. I think. They, I mean, the XG stats were, I think it was 1.6 to 0.4. So we created four times as much as they did. Um, and that doesn't include, um, I think there was twice where Scott Twine on the left-hand side flashed a ball across the face of goal and just no one got even, no one got anywhere near it. And it was just, you know, if you're just, just begging for, you know, Kyoso to be following that in at the back post or someone taking a gamble. Um, so, yeah, I think, we, I think we were probably better with 11 men. Um, but also, what coincided with them going down to ten men was David Kasuma also went off shortly after, and I feel that he was really key in just driving forward with the ball. McEachern is a great player, but sometimes, you know, you'd want McEachern when you want to control the game and slow the tempo down. Perhaps you don't want McEachern when you want to be, you know, all action and just throwing everything at a team. Maybe perhaps, perhaps. Um, you know, it could have been could have been even worse if Kasuma was on. We don't know, but I just think you know, it, and I think the break helped them as well. The break halftime came at a good time for them because we were really last sort of 15, 20 minutes of the half. We were really all over them, and we scored. We scored with the ISA, but then we carried on. And um, so yeah, I think two blows to us. Obviously, halftime, and they just came in regrouped. And <laughs> I don't think I don't necessarily think we played bad, but I think they played really well second half. I think they defended their box well. Um, I think out of the 26 shots we had, 10 of them were blocked. So I think that just tells you how many people were behind them, you know, behind the the the, uh, the ball. Um, so, yeah, I think it's ultimately you leave a disappointment because of how just frustrating it was, the possession we had. But I, I do think we did create the chances to win the game. Um, but I would agree with Ross as well and say, that maybe we weren't we weren't great, but we still I think did enough that we should have taken one of those half chances. Yeah, my next point actually was on that Kaz injury. Um, so I'm glad you brought it up. And uh, yeah, that that was that for me was well, yeah, it, it, that was like sort of driving the knife in a bit more in terms of the situation. I think because he, I said he had a brilliant game up to that point. And to lose him again to injury, Ross, it is is so frustrating. No, I'm sure Liam Sweeting will, you know, plan ahead and bring in recruitments, recruitment in that area. Um, but you know, you know the quality that Kaz has, it is still a loss regardless. I think what hurts most is the fact that obviously he's one of our own, and um, we saw the ceiling, he was uh, all the performances he was performing uh, under Russ, and we were saying he was like one of the best players in League One. At what he does, he was clear. He was doing a two-man role sort of thing in the uh, in the pivot, and I think because we've seen such a hot, um, such high performance from him, we expect that most weeks. And um, these injuries, they just keep holding him back. And um, I think that's probably the reason why he hasn't moved on to bigger and better things, is because of his injuries. I do feel like. Um, He's just getting far too many injuries recently. And um, I feel sorry for him because of 
at the end of the day, no, no one wants that in their in their football career. And unfortunately, he's in that he's at in that period of his career at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's very unfortunate. Um, hopefully, it's it's not too long term. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Obviously, it's January, so I've, I think I think recruitments will come in in this position. So, and of course, the, the talent's already there. And McKechnie and Robson, admittedly, no one's got the talent of Kaz in the squad. I think in that position, uh, of course, Matt O'Reilly being the exception. Um, so yeah, well, it's an interesting situation to monitor. I think even though Moise only got like 17 or 18 touches of football on, in the 90 minutes overall, we finally saw him got some service, finally. Um, and I think it obviously the goal the goal was the key, so the key sign of that. Obviously, the ball from time was excellent. He broke the lines brilliantly and Mo did what he did, does what he does best in terms of finishing it. And as Manning said, it, it was fairly similar to his Atkinson goal earlier in the season as well. Um Yeah, I think personally, it was, it was just really, really nice to see. It's something we've been becking out for for weeks, Joe, and it's, you know, and ultimately, you know, in, in reflection, it earned us a quite a valuable point, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, you can see from the stands that the, the run he made to get the ball, he, he probably makes that run a good 10 times a game, at least. It's it's just about finding him and taking, you know, taking that risk on and. You know, but of course, it does take execution, and Scott Twine executed the ball great. Um, and I think, yeah, he's. I think with AC, he's such a confidence player, and you know, I'm sure we're going to come on to Tuesday's game. But for me, he was one of our top three players on Tuesday. Um, but I think, yeah, it's. Um, you know, if I, I've said it and I'll say it again, if you get Mo Issa in the box, running at players with the ball with without his back to goal. Uh, it within the 18 yard box, he's going to cause trouble, and it happened again. You know, it all of a sudden he's got a run on his defender, and he's squaring them up, squaring them up, and he just he just bides his time, bides his time, and then he he doesn't try. One thing I love about Mo, and sometimes when it doesn't work, it looks so silly, but he doesn't just thrash the ball. He could have easily just done just just tried to curl it far corner, gone really you know really nice, really pretty, but actually what he did was he just almost wrong-footed the keeper he just hit it near post and it was you know it almost looked quite slow going in but that's that's all about the placement and the finishing and the composure and I think that the composure for me is one of his biggest attributes because when a world of chaos is going on in the box you can you, you can almost you know bet your bottom dollar that he's the one that's going to be calm and collected and you know give him chances in front of goal and he, he does score yeah and, and for all the criticism that my wife has got The past two games, he's earned us four points, in my opinion. Obviously, he scores the goal against Atkinson and basically creates the goal um, against Ace Wimbledon, which we'll, we'll get on to now. Uh, I thought I, I was going to that game on Tuesday, seeing the lineup. I was really hoping, you know, Corbeni would start. He did, fortunately. Um, unfortunately, Troy Parrott again on, on Saturday didn't really put in a brilliant performance. He got dragged off for it. Um, so, yeah, of course, it was, it was, the, it was the front three of Corbeni, Twine, and Isa. And I thought the whole team collectively, it was a proper, proper performance and they really showed up for us fans in the stands. Um, of course, Don's action did an absolutely excellent job of getting the crowd going last night. And you know, I think they showed their appreciation, their performance. Of course, as as Joe referred to, you know, Isa being the front man at the top, the press is absolutely terrific. And I think all the players bought into that at the same time. And of course, the goal comes from that press itself. You know, their keeper makes a mistake. Isa collects the ball. Um, plays it in and after a few sort of maybe 
keeping your car in the box. Uh, Matt O'Reilly takes it away, makes it 1-0. Um, I don't think it was a vintage performance from Dons, but in those sorts of games, it really does not matter to me. And I think if anyone asks you that, they would not give monkeys. It's all about getting the three points and and especially go back up to fifth now, back into the playoffs. And, you know, it, that's such a critical time to do that when you know, other teams aren't necessarily playing. Of course, Sutherland lost last night, so that's a big result. Um, yeah, I, I think overall it was a brilliant night and some excellent performances. Of course, Franco coming in goal, uh, short notice and getting a clean sheet, I think was he was terrific. He did, did what he needed to do. And, you know, if he, he is starting on Saturday, that'll give him a world of confidence and you can see the appreciation from the defenders, um, you know, of him doing that. And yeah, overall, really positive night. And I think it's been a long overdue one, to be honest. Uh, I think the past couple of weeks, you haven't been up to standards. But I think for the first time in a little while, we uh, finally delivered on a performance, which is which is really nice to see. Uh, Ross, uh, your, your overriding thoughts from Tuesday's win? Oh, I, I, um, I, not a lot of words to describe it. I just, what a night, all, all I can say. Um, yeah, it's... It's a weird one, obviously. I don't think they've beaten us at home before, but I think there's there's always nerves there, isn't there, before the game, and you, you just you just think about it all the time, the result and that. But I just feel like um, those two individuals, um, the whole I could name the whole team, but I think those two individuals which stood out for me um, throughout this uh, performance. One, Harry Darling, I felt he cleaned up absolutely everything. Um, he brought a real composure to that back line. And yes, we know that Franco's a bit shaky at his feet. And uh, there were times, but I think having Darling there reassured him. And um, I think that's what you need. And um, yeah, as I say, he I don't think he got beat by um, any AFC player throughout the whole game, as I say. And then the other player I wanted to mention, and I know I've mentioned him previously, um, was Tanai Watson. I felt Tanai last night, he was outstanding. I know Kyoso set the bar high and I spoke after Charlton. I felt Watson against Charlton was one of our better players. Um, he rose to the challenge and now he's really um, banging on Manning's door and saying, I'm the starting right wing back and fair play to the lad. Um, I believe he got the assist for the goal, but every time he was asked to bomb forward, he wasn't afraid to. Um, and as I say, um, he'd done the defensive work, all good. And um, yeah, I'm just glad we got the three points. Um, but uh, the main important thing was the fact that we got back in them playoff places, for sure. Yeah, yeah, huge three points. Um, yeah, I, I think tonight's a bang on the door. For, I said for weeks, you know, he's putting solid performances in the Papa John's immediately against... Well, especially in the late in game against you know lower opposition, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, you, know, you play, you can play against who you're up against in many ways, and yeah, you know, and it's it's going to take the whole squad. And we've we've mentioned how tonight's performed in over the season in the league games, and yeah, another great performance. So yeah, it's and Kioso to be fair, he came in a bit cold last night. Of course, made that big challenge towards the end, but he gave us a few shaky moments towards the end with a few passes. But you know, I'm sure he'll make up for it on Saturday if he does get back in the team. Um, Joe, I'm sure you'd have mentioned another play that I'm thinking of talking about, but I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts on the game from last night. Okay, um, right. Well, so yeah, I think it was again. Um, I think the scoreline doesn't necessarily show how dominant we actually were in that game. 
Um, we were brilliant. I thought we were actually better when they had 11 men. Um, I thought when they went down to 10, it almost just calmed the game down a bit. And we were just sort of just doing our own thing. We were never in any danger. They had two shots in our box in the whole game. One Only one of them was on target. So, yeah, we, we did our bit. Um, 21 shots. Okay, we weren't as clinical as maybe we'd have liked to have been, but we definitely created the chances. I think uh, the XG was around 2 to 0.2. So I think that just shows the gulf between the two teams. Um, like Ross said, for me, the man of the match was Harry Darling. Four clearances, three interceptions, five tackles. He won eight out of nine ground duels, which is just absurd. He also won three fouls as well. So he you know, put in the odd Lewington every now and then. Um, so I just think, yeah, he just cleaned absolutely everything up. And there was, you know, I wasn't that stressed in the last 45 minutes. Um, and then I think the other player I was going to mention was Ethan Robson. Was that the one you were thinking of, Liam? Yes, it was. Excellent. I've just, I've just had the thumbs up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think V for Robson. I think I was, I was saying to Ross that I think, <coughs> excuse me, it's good because every single one of our midfielders does a different thing. You've got Kasumu, who's really, you know, he gets stuck in, he wins the ball and then he just deals it off to someone else and they can, you know, they can then start progressing it forward and, and this sort of thing. You've got Josh McEachran, who's really good at just controlling the tempo winning the ball and playing it out wide. You've got Matt O'Reilly, who's all action, but he's, you know, really classy. He can play further up, can play, he probably play further back as well, probably playing goal for all we know. Um, and then you've got, but then you've got Ethan Robson, who I think just does every, a bit of everything pretty good. I don't, I wouldn't say he's the best defensively. I wouldn't say he's the best going forward. I wouldn't say he's the best at controlling the tempo, but I think he's our most well-balanced midfielder. And one thing I think he does win on is aggression. <laughs> and he, he was getting stuck in. His pressing when we lost the ball was insane. You know, like there was times where he was almost running, you know, he was almost in the centre-back positions or or he was almost up front just because of how much he was pressing. You know, he like he was ending up pressing some of their centre-backs at times. And I just thought that's just, you know, that shows you what he's all about. Um, and, you know, along with Mo. And then the other, th the third person I'd say was really good for me was Mo. That goal does not, the mistake does not happen unless, Mo, unless Mo's pressing, pressing the the um, the goalkeeper. They, um, you know, they played um, 30, 76 long balls in that game, and I believe that one of the reasons for why they played so many was genuinely because. You know, they were getting pressed into a corner and they just had to get rid of it. They just had to get rid of the thing. And they lost the ball over half of the times that they just launched it long. So I think that just tells you everything you need to know about, <coughs> excuse me, about the influence of the press there. So, yeah, really happy, uh, especially with the result. But I think um, it was very controlled second half. But I think we, you know, it, we if we needed to, like if, say, for instance, it was one all, I think we had a couple of extra gears that we could have gone through if need be. Yeah, I mean, Ethan Robson was absolutely fantastic last night. He was easy, my man of the match, um, easily, to be honest. Uh, he even got a few, like, shouts from, me at the, from the crowd for his pressing and tackling. I thought he really bought into the fixture. Um, and, yeah, I think... To be fair, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about recruitment in his position, especially now with the Kaz injury. And I think um, I think he's had himself a few games of that performance. I, I was really, really impressed. And I think it just shows, you know, 
we, we, well, we, we seem to go back and forth on this depth in the squad situation, but I think at certain positions, our depth in the squad, as Joe said, is really good. Uh, it's just about improving other positions. Um, let, of course, let, let's on. not forget as well. Let's not forget as well. It was Robson that was in the team with O'Reilly, partnering O'Reilly in the early early parts of the season where we went on that like ten game unbeaten run. Well, yeah, so maybe, maybe that's a partnership then, Robson and O'Reilly. Maybe that's the maybe that's the key. Obviously, we spoke a bit about Corbenu earlier, um, but we'll focus more on the three-four-three side of things. What appeared to be a three-four-three, obviously. It kind of saw Twine and, and Theo operating wider positions with Mo being that, as always, you know, central striker. I don't know if you boys saw anything to which, you know, you liked from that 3-4-3 compared to the, the previous 3-4-2-1. It gave us, of course, it created more chances for us. So maybe it was something the opposition didn't expect. I, I, I don't think necessarily it's what they didn't expect. I think it's out of our own doing. Um, I think it, it allows you a bit more space especially um, attacking either left or right-hand side, whether they're playing a back four, back three. Um, but I think that there is a high risk to it as well, especially if you're going to Fratton Park like this weekend, you're playing against Pompey. And no disrespect to AFC, I, I, I don't feel like they've got the quality of what Pompey have got. And um, defensively, defensively, I do feel like it leaves you slightly ex- more exposed. Um, and you obviously you're heavily heavily reliant going forward on them them two out players um, part of the front front three sorry um, so yes it does create its chances and I, I do want to see it a lot more but I want us to be have that balance as well I want that balance and I feel playing that sort of um, that front three I'd it it screams Kasumi in the middle and obviously he's injured right now so it's it's not ideal, um, but Ethan Robson, as you say, maybe maybe he could do the job. Um, who says he can't? Um, but as you as you said, literally just said, Liam, he deserves a few more games now, um, just through that performance. Um, but just going back on your question, I, I want to see it a lot more. But whether it's the preferred formation, I'm not too sure. And obviously a massive factor with that also is that they're down to 10 men, weren't they? Um, they had a yeah. player sent off in Guinness Walker. So, you know, obviously created a lot of space for the likes of Theo and Twine to do their thing. And of course, it allowed a player like Dan Harvey, and as you mentioned before tonight, Watson to cut in a bit more, have a free roaming, have a free roaming role, um, which of course created chances. And of course, probably should have, you know, as you said, score, scored at least two or three. I mean, Joe, what, what were your thoughts on the 3-4-3 three, three in general? Did you like it? Um, yeah, I, I did quite like it, actually. I thought one thing that it really allowed Theo and Scott Twine to do was they started out wide and then they came inside. So that by the time that they were actually in the middle of, of the pitch, they were actually, you know, already in good positions and had the ball at, the fr- at, their, at their feet. So they were receiving it out wide and then coming inside. And I think when they were doing that, it meant that they were already, you know, potentially running at pace or... Um, or, or, or already, you know, composed and, and set on the ball. And that, I think, because there was a couple of real near misses where Mo made, made, a, made a great run and, and just missed out on the pass or the pass just got intercepted. So, yeah, I think what it does do is, you know, it caught, if you have people out wide and then you bring everyone in the middle, you know, you get, have people running through the middle, then it really does help, I think, um, open up spaces. At the end of the day, football's a game of spaces. 
And, you know, a lot of it's about stretching the opposition. And I think one thing that we did, in, which was really interesting as well, and was obviously a conscious thing that we were doing, was Tanai and uh, Dan Harvey came inside a lot more. And so, if anything, Scott Twine and Theo were actually on the outside, hugging the touchline at times almost. And then and the wing-backs were the ones that were actually inside. So I think that that was really good. Um, yeah, it was really good to see. And I think it helped open up a lot of space for us. And, you know, once we got to grips with the game, we just pretty much just dominated from then onwards. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And, um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a few players I hadn't mentioned yet, really. I mean, you talked about Franco getting his first clean sheet. I thought, you know... He, he did what he needs to do, and and that's that's all you need. To, that's all you ask from a goalkeeper, really. He's very obviously he's a very fortunate situation that you know ASC would be down to ten men, but you know, I, I was really pleased with Franco. To be fair, obviously we've watched him in the Papa John's games, and there's been times where the defense hasn't really helped him out a few times. And but I feel like for a first a first league start, I thought you know you could not ask him much more. And of course, was a um, he didn't uh, score, so exactly, exactly. Maybe Franco needs to bring that into his game, but. He's an absolute slacker, mate. Get him back to the bench. <laughs> um, but no, what was there also? Obviously, he said people's mother match, to be fair. Um, we hadn't mentioned him yet. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I thought he's rock solid. Um, but yeah, overall, a really, really good team performance. And as I said, I think it's long overdue. And hopefully these guys can get their momentum going ahead of a pretty crucial away game in Portsmouth, or should I say Fratton on Saturday. And um, yeah, we're delighted to welcome on Hugh from the Pure Forecast to chat more about Pompey after a short little break. This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. Welcome back to the latest opposition overview. And of course, we're playing Pompey on Saturday, so it's only right we bring on Hugh from the Pier Forecast, a resident Pompey expert, to give us some thoughts on Pompey since he last played in this season. So, Hugh, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. It's good to be back at football again. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me back on the podcast. Yeah, no worries, as always. Uh, yeah, it's great to be back. Um, oh, yeah, of course, we both had our little COVID breaks, which uh, fortunately, Ours wasn't as long as yours. Uh, you say now we've only played like was it one league game since the start of the start of December, which is a bit ridiculous. So obviously, well, give us a little breakdown of obviously the little lack of games you've played, but the games you have played, how it's gone recently. Yeah, well, Pompey have basically not played that many league games, as I said. I think that the the last game we played before the break for COVID was the eleventh uh, of December. And that was against Morecambe, uh, which Pompey won two 0 at the time, probably been on quite a good a good sort of string of results before the COVID break. We played, uh, we only conceded one goal in seven games. Um, they're now leading the leading the league with um, eleven clean sheets, I believe, off the top of my head. Uh, and in that time, Pompey have looked pretty stable. But as I said, now we've come back, and I know you guys came to the Cambridge game. The team looks a lot more sluggish, sluggish even than it was before. And I think scoring goals is going to be the thing that Pompey need to get back to because there's been a lot of you know praise on our defence, but if you're going to concede two against Exeter, two against Cambridge in the last couple of games, you're gonna you're gonna need to score goals, and that's where the question mark is for this team. Yeah, yeah, the, you guys in that Cambridge game, well, the Cambridge game in general was was pretty appalling to be honest. So 
it was a good job we got our tickets free, Ross, because I, I was not paying. I was glad I didn't pay for tickets for that game, quite frankly. It was uh, it was pretty poor. Um, but yeah, I suppose, I suppose the, COVID, the COVID sort of break would explain that because it has seemed like to us that you were just playing on balls up to Hurst and when it was Marquise when he did eventually you know, make his appearance. And you know, Harness is trying his best, but at the end of the day, you know, of course, he got a bit handbags eventually, but nothing really happened in the game. It's, it's a, bit, a bit of a shame, to be honest. Yeah, it was a dreadful performance. And I said to against Cambridge, because people who don't know listening, we actually played Cambridge twice now away in eight days. We just played them in the EFL trophy and lost yesterday. And we played them the same in the same ground at the Abbey Stadium. And all the Pompey fans must have been really raring to go back there after that nil-nil uh, game at home. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things you, you give them a little bit of a leeway first game back playing off after Christmas as well, after this COVID break. And you think, right, OK, it's going to take a bit of time maybe to get up to speed. And Danny Cowley's fielded full strength teams in, in the EFL trophy against Exeter, where we were really lucky to come out, you know, with anything really from it. You know, 87 minutes, we're losing 2-1 and we managed to, to snatch a last minute winner. Ronan Curtis comes on and gets a double. Um, so we win the game 3-2. Uh, to to progress and get to go that lucky trip back to Cambridge again. But at the moment, we can talk about the season and how Pompey are looking in general. But the last couple of weeks, not quite as good as it's been before Christmas. Yeah, because obviously you look at the table and what you're like, ninth or tenth or something like that. And this doesn't doesn't look too bad. But obviously, you know, the way you're describing it, it doesn't sound like Pompey fans are thrilled with how the team's playing at the moment. I wouldn't say, I think Pompey fans are being minutely critical because it's such an important sort of run of games we've got coming up. We've got you guys, we've got Sunderland coming up as well. Uh, we've got to play Oxford as well in this time. And you've got to think that this is a time where we're either going to put some pressure onto the playoffs from eighth position or we're going to drop off into that sort of mid, mid-table mediocrity, I suppose. Pompey fans are just a bit worried. We haven't got anyone who can really score if Marcus Harness isn't putting goals into the back of the net, which I think is is a fair a fair criticism to to have onto the team. But generally, the, the fans are pretty happy with how Danny Cowley's setting up the team. There's some pretty encouraging stats. I mean, Pompey uh, lead all leagues in the EFL as well as the Premier League actually in in passing per defensive action stats, so PPDA, uh, which measures sort of pressure. Uh, people don't know so it's just the amount of passes that the attacking team allow against uh, defensive action so tackling interceptions fouls etc and Pompey are, I think I think I had the stats here but uh, Pompey at the moment have 8.8 causing uh, pass defensive action causing 179 turnovers and to put that into perspective uh, Forest Green lead lead League 2 with 10.2 West Brom lead the championship with 9.9 and uh, Liverpool at 9.6 in the Premier League so Pompey put, do put a lot of pressure on, and that's where on our game, when we're looking good, not at the Cambridge game, Pompey are pressing a team high up the pitch, causing carnage, not allowing them to play out the back, causing turnovers. And that's really where we've been getting our success so far. And it also works on the defensive side, doesn't it? Because if you're applying that pressure high up the pitch, you're then not having to defend from your own end. So there are some really encouraging stats in this team as well. So it's not all doom and gloom, don't get me wrong. And the fans are all behind Danny Cowley as he moves into January. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that PPDA stack. That's that really stood out to me because it's not just the highest. I say it's not the highest, it's the highest in the league by some margin, although I should say in terms of number wise. So yeah, it's really interesting to see, you know, because I think Don's uh, Don's aren't as high as that in terms of the league table when it comes to PPDA. But 
I think our pressure comes from just the higher higher over the pitch to that final sort of line that we tried to break. So um, yeah, it could be a it could be a game of on on Saturday, sorry, of where he makes the first mistake and he capitalises on those mistakes and score goals basically. I think MK Dons have quite a um, sort of like renowned sort of uh, style of play and a lot of um, sort of when you do this podcast with other teams, people say to you, you know, what's Pompey's style? You know, how are they going to play? I think when, when you see it coming up against us under Danny Cowley, and this has taken a bit of time over the season to really refine this style and, and to fit a system that actually works for the team. So obviously we have 15 players coming over the summer. So it takes quite a lot of time for those players to gel. So now we're playing a system which is sort of a, um, you got the th- you got the three at the back, um, three for one two, and then you literally the thing I think the thing is that we'll try and pass the ball out the back. So Gavin Bazuni will play that role where he comes out and he plays that sweeper keeper role. He's very capable on loan from Man City. Um, he plays for Ireland in goal as well. For people who don't know, and he will pass the ball like a defender, allowing the defenders to split wide and allowing us to pass the ball out the back rather than going long. However, that doesn't mean Pompey are like MK Dons. They're not a holding possession team. They're not going to keep possession in this in that sense to, to try and like intricately find the gaps and, and play through a team like that. Pompey will try and play the ball through teams, but quickly. So they'll try and get the ball wide to the wing backs and then try and put the ball forward in that sense. So we're about the middle of the pack in terms of direct attacks compared to passing attacks, but we'll try and pass the ball out against you and then when we lose the ball, we'll aggressively try and press you to turn it over. Yeah, I mean, Ross, I mean, obviously Hughes had a brilliant breakdown of how you know, Pompey will probably approach this game. Where do you think a player like, obviously, the new recruit, Kebeni, could come into this one? Because he he sounds like that type of player who could get into those areas and really exploit this Pompey side. It's a weird one. So obviously there's so much space, um, which was allowed against AFC. Um, I don't feel like that will be a case against his Portsmouth side. I know Danny Cowley, he likes his um, his sides well drilled. And defensively, I, I, I do believe um, Portsmouth will be hard to break down. But I've got a slight question um, for you, um, Hugh, in the sense of um, John Marquis. I watched him against um, Cambridge and I watched at Hurst. And you can prove me wrong um, if if I am wrong. But personally, I, d- I don't feel like um, he offered a lot. And John Marquise, from what I've seen of him in previous campaigns, he's that sort of player I'd want on the pitch. And I've looked at his recent starts, and uh, he hasn't got a start in the last five games now. And that's in the, the league, sorry. My question to you is, why is that? So I've been sort of saying this for most of the season, and we've been saying it for seasons gone past, really, I suppose. John Marquis is a relic of the former player that he was playing for Portsmouth, really. And sorry, John, if you listen to this, mate, but he's been truly awful at converting converting any sort of chances. But it's not really just that. It's this, his first touch is woeful. The ball sort of just comes off his foot. He's lost all sort of confidence in front of goals. He's not making real runs into the channels anymore. He just looks like a man who's sort of jogging around up front, not quite sure anymore how he used to be a striker and how he used to put balls in the back of the net. John Marquis, unfortunately for John Marquis, is never going to do well here at Portsmouth and he needs to get straight out of the club, go somewhere else and hopefully he can you know, kickstart his career and try and find somewhere else to put the ball in the back of the net. I mean, I think that if anyone could take him off our hands on a free even and we could just get the wages off the bill, Pompey fans would be quite happy, regardless of any money that was paid for him in the past. Honestly, 
he's he's looked really bad. And it's not just the fact that he's not scoring goals. It's just his all-round general play, which has been, you know, pretty rubbish. And I'm, I've actually think that, and this is only an observation, it's not from inside knowledge, but when you're really frustrated enough with the fans giving you, you criticism that you're going up to scoring a goal, when he got the occasion where he did score a goal against Sunderland in that torrential rain. And the only reason really why is because the ball was sticking then. He, you know, he couldn't couldn't come off his foot and bounce forward or whatever because there's so much water on the pitch, it sort of helped him. And then cupping your ears to your own fans at the front and end. I, I just think that the man's got to go, really, unfortunately. And, you know, we can we can look at what's happened for him, but he's not the player that everyone thinks about being at Doncaster. And maybe I shouldn't be saying this on an opposition podcast. Maybe I should be bigging him up so we can get rid of the man. But yeah, no, he's been he's been genuinely awful. Um, Hurst didn't have a good game against Cambridge. He's been better than John Marquis in the fact that he's been, he can take the ball down well. He's got a turn of pace, so he's been able to beat players when we're playing at Sheffield Wednesday. He, he can come off the shoulder and he can beat players at a turn of pace. He's got most things apart from the ability to put the ball in the back of the net again. He's done it a couple of times. Anyone who gets that many chances will do it a few times. But Pompey don't have a striker, really, who's effective at the moment. Ellis Harrison's just been sold as well. He's gone... And you're looking at who Pompey are going to play. Now, Danny Cowley is very aware of this and Pompey are going to look to bring in one or two new strikers in January. Yeah, speaking of January, have you actually signed any players yet? So I had a little look and I couldn't see anything. And if you haven't, on where obviously apart from striker, where do you think Pompey needs to recruit in this window? So Pompey are basically clearing out the sort of dinosaur contracts that Kenny Jackett signed from before to sort of sort balance the budget out. Ellis Harrison is one of our, you know, most paid players. He's not playing, trying to get rid of John Marquis. He's not playing. Paul Downing's now going to Rochdale on loan as, report, as reported today by Jordan Cross in the news. So we're just trying to get rid of all these high paid players that are sitting on the bench or in the treatment room, really. And from that, we're trying to then bring in players on that basis. Now, Danny Cowley likes to not rush his transfer business, should we say? He likes, he's very methodical. They've been, they've been prepping for this for months, doing stat stuff, going around all kinds of different grounds, looking at youth teams, going to matches. He says there are players available he could have now, but he doesn't want them. He wants other players that he knows he wants, and therefore he's not going to rush into any particular decision straight away. So when you look at the summer transfer window, we really need a central midfielder, and then we ended up waiting, waiting, and we got Joey Morrell. So... Danny Cowley knows who he wants and I think lots of ports of transfer business will come a lot closer to the deadline where we need to add we need to add two attackers really but at least one striker but two would be good and then we also need to get a central defender in because we play a three at the back system and at the moment we've got Clark Robertson who's just come back into the side he played half a game against Cambridge our captain at the back he's been injured for a lot of the season where we've just been playing sort of either one or two actual centre-backs at the back and then either a centre midfielder in Sean Williams and a right back in Kieran Freeman in a back three, very makeshift back three. So if you want to play a back three, you need to get a new centre-back in, preferably one on the right side of the centre-back. So a right side of centre-back, I think Pompey are looking for maybe two if we manage. Now he's shifting out Paul Downing. But yeah, centre-backs, strikers. Paul Downing, what a player. I'm surprised he's not playing him. <laughs> He's the worst player, I think. One of the worst players we've seen. <laughs> I had such wow. high expectations coming from Donny as well. Well, well, what can, what can we say? 
what can we say? <laughs> <laughs> His best times were at us. Did um, he play for you? I didn't even he realize did for he a bit. Yeah, he got um, he played. He had a really game against Peterborough. I think he got a nickname like. It was Timothy Garden, Iniesta, and his name. I forgot what it was, but yeah, <laughs> it was an interesting game, to say the least. Um, and ever since that, he's been crap. So, um, yeah, there you go. That's a Paul Dowding career story for you. Yeah, I'll give him two out of ten on consecutive oh, years wow. now. Oh, uh, wow. Bloody hell. That is, that is impressive, to be fair. Back to back as well. Back to back, two out of tens. Sorry, Paul. We hope it works out for you at Rochdale, which is where he's going now. <laughs> um, who, who's the one player you reckon could? You turn the game on its head from Pompey's perspective. Is it Harness or is it someone else? I mean, Harness is the obvious option, you know, yeah. 10 goals yeah. all competitions. Um, but it's not just that, it's the timeliness of those goals. He scored a goal against um against AFC Wimbledon, which you like. It was in the last minute, and we're drawing one-one. I can't remember the name of the player, but one of their defenders had been giving him all kinds of stick, and they had a tussle in the middle of the pitch. And it's then... probably Nightingale based off last night. I can't remember who it was, but basically Harness comes up last minute, out to the box. He just shoots the ball really quickly out of his feet, hard, right into the corner, gets the winner, and he runs over to the fraternity. But before he does that, he stops and just laughs in the face of the player that he had uh, he had, uh, g- <laughs> that had been giving him sort of a ah, and then ran and did a slide at the fraternity. Um, it's beautiful. So Harness I respect a- the bloke. <laughs> yeah, he's also a black belt in jiu-jitsu, so you don't want to mess with him. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, but uh, yeah, anyway, so Marcus Harness, he's not only got those goals, but they've been timely, game-winning goals. Obviously, he's got the ability. Also, just got the ability to pass, find the ball, key passes, etc. Don't have the stats for that in front of me right now. But another player, I suppose, you can look at who's going to win the game quickly, I suppose, is that's the obvious one. Obviously, you've got Gavin Bazunu in goal. He's been incredible for us this season. I do generally believe he'll be a Premier League keeper next year. Don't quite know how we've managed to have him on loan from Man City. I know Pep sees him as the long-term replacement for Edison, uh, you know, Young Island Player of the Year this season. He's only 19. Stop that penalty against Ronaldo to stop him getting the, that silly record he's after. We know, all know he's not the GOAT, so don't want people keep going on about it. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so Gavin Bazuna has got the ability just to, just to save, basically, something from nowhere when you think you've got a definite goal. Bazunu's there. And then the third player I'm going to say is Joe Morrell. Again, very good for us in the middle. You know, not. Quite, I think he's a championship quality midfielder. You know, when he's playing against Kevin De Bruyne for for Wales in the Euros, and then he's coming along to play against, I don't know, some tin pot team. I'm just going to say, don't know who am I going to throw under the bus right now? Doncaster. <laughs> Stick with that, eh? <laughs> Stick with that. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. <laughs> the other lot, <laughs> the new 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 Wimbledon. Um, but yeah, so Joe Morell again, he, he's so tenacious. If he can get on the ball, he, he's one of the only players probably we've got who shift the ball quickly forward. He finds space. I think it'll be a big battle between him and Matt O'Reilly in the middle of midfield. And whoever comes out on top of that could really dis- define the game. Yeah, I think as Don's fans, it's all about Bazunu from earlier on the season. He's made some incredible saves. And I think uh, that was like, oh, who's, who's this guy, you know? Had about all his island adventures and literally comes out to uh, say, okay, he didn't get the clean sheet, but, you know, had a brilliant game to be fair to him so yeah I don't think many of us are looking forward to seeing him again um but speaking of Saturday how do you reckon it'll go from a Pompey perspective do you reckon you'll uh keep the clean sheet run going or do you reckon it'll be a, a little Don's win for us uh, I, I don't think we're going to keep the clean sheet record going on just on recent performances I'm, I'm just uh it's going to be a game that I think Pompey hopefully will limit, limit the chances a bit because if you look at you guys this season as well you've got 
you know, the most the most goals in the league, for instance, from open play. I think it's 32. I think that's right. So I'm going to go with a very safe 1-1 draw with goals from Marcus Harness and Scott Twine. I think that's that wouldn't be a bad result for either team. Uh, I think it's probably likely. But then again, you might blow us out. So we'll see. But I think the ability, you know, 1-1 seems like a, a decent result for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure we've, we've got 26 goals away this season. I'm pretty sure that's right up there. So when we do like, score goals, it's away from home. Um, fair enough, I said one one also. And I think I'd, well, I said I said to Ross and Joe, I'd take a point going to Pompino. I think we've got yeah, one there as MK Dons, as you know, as, we, as we've called MK Dons. So yeah, it, it's hard to say we're going to win there. But, you know, I think I think a point is a good point in the situation, especially after the past week we've had. Yeah. I mean, and we're six, three, and two as well at home. So uh, better than away from home. We're four, four, and four. So two, two losses um, out of eleven at home. Uh, one of those comes to, to Cambridge. I spoke about, and the other one was in this diabolical form with all the injuries. And we lost four 0 at home to Ipswich, which was just a Ooh. random blowout game. I was there. It was dreadful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I think we've generally been quite strong at home this season. But I think a one-one draw. Well, Hugh, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast once again and giving your Pompey insight. Make sure everyone check out the PO forecast. We'll be on there later this week to give our insights on Dons and the game in general. Uh, so yeah, please check that out. And uh, Hugh, thank you once again. Always a pleasure, lads, and good luck for the rest of the season, apart from against us. And if you do win the league, you'll prove me right and win me a shitload of money. So go on, boys. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully that's the same for us. Thank you very much once again to Hugh from the PO forecast for coming on and chatting a bit about Pompey. Obviously, Joe, you couldn't have the chance to join us, but what what are your overriding thoughts heading into Portsmouth on Saturday? Well, Danny Cowley seems to have really got them, you know, rising up the table, and it's no surprise, really. I think a lot of people thought, you know, everyone knows how good a manager he is, and it's given time. It's it's taken them a little bit of time, but they're, yeah, putting some good results together. So, uh, yeah, not going to be easy at all. Um, we've had some decent results away from home. We've had some average results away from home but it seems like we're always getting a goal away from home and um, I think as long as we're competitive I think you know maybe I think um, I think there'll be goals in it for both teams chances in it for both teams Um, so yeah I'm actually quite looking forward to this game Um, but um, yeah I think it's it's going to be a really interesting one and I'm going to go for a score draw so one all same as Accrington I believe yeah, I mean, I think with this perspective also, maybe a bit like the Acton game, I think I think a point of Pompey is pretty good for us. Um, don't have too good of a record there from what I remember. I think we've won, we only, we actually, as MK Don't actually won a game at Pompey before. Um, I think we lost two and drew one. Um, so not, not the best record. Uh, Ross, I don't know what your thoughts are for scores-wise in terms of this one. Maybe the first win at Portsmouth for us? Um so it's, I, I do feel like it's going to be a daunting task, um, Fratton Park. I've never been before, so I'm, I'm I am looking forward to it. Um, and yeah, it is a mammothful task. I do believe. Um, I probably would would have taken a point, but at the same time, if other teams pick up points, it's probably two points dropped. So it depends how it works. But I'm going to edge with us because of we normally turn up against big teams in this league. Um, I know of recent, we probably haven't had the uh, roll of the dice against the better teams. But, I'm yeah, I'm going to go with a 1-0 Don's victory. Yeah, recent times, to be fair, we have had pretty good performances against Pompey home and away. 
obviously the one in COVID at their place with Louis Thompson. Um, yeah, we probably should have done better there. And obviously the home games, you usually beat them at home. So it has just been away from home where we struggled. Um, and Ross, that, that clean sheet you mentioned, it was that bloody Cambridge game, wasn't it? We went to at nil nil. I thought it was in their past five games they've kept a clean sheet. I might be wrong. Well, it's that's league games because they there's lost. Yeah, league games. Long. Yeah, they've kept they've kept a clean sheet in the last five league. Oh, okay. So their defense is actually really well done. So perfect time to play us then. Brilliant. Yeah, perfect. Um, <laughs> obviously, you know what they keep a bazooka in goal as well. So yeah, uh, it's interesting. I would I would love a point. I think I think a point would be an excellent result. I, I don't think that's there's been too negative saying that. Um, of course, I want us to win. Um, we definitely can win. We've got the players to win. Um, oh, this is tough. I'm gonna go one-one. Um, yeah, I think we can break the clean sheet streak of Pompey at the moment, but I also think you know we're probably gonna concede a goal just because of the players that got up top. Now, if we get the goal early, our goal, I say that their strikers can struggle to get chances. Obviously, with with Hurst and Marquise, they're both two just lumps up front. Basically, he won't create much, so it'll be down to Harness, who's the top goal scorer, to really do stuff. Now, admittedly, he has got nine goals this season in the league, so he's not exactly um, a terrible player or anything like that. But you know, it it I think we can mark him out of the game. So you know, the typical saying it's going to be the first the first team gets the goal when will have a great chance to win the game. It's pretty much that. Hopefully, it's us. Um, if it's them, then we might struggle. But yeah, hopefully we uh we see you all there on Saturday. Um uh, believe we've sold out most of our tickets. I think there's a few left. Um, of course, they've decided to put home fans in the same stand, so that'll be interesting. Uh, but yeah, hopefully see you on Saturday in Fratton. Uh, and until then, come on, you dons. The Talk Sport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.